and welcome to the Game Theory Podcast. I'm your host, Sam Vicini. We're presented by The Athletic. Today on the show, Matt Penny, I was talking to Mo DeKeel on the last podcast, and I told him I didn't think that you were good enough to run a show by yourself. What are, you, what are your <laughs> great, thoughts? Great intro. You stink. Care to comment? Uh, yeah, we're not there yet. We're, we're still dipping our toes in. We're figuring it out on the fly. I mean, I we've come a long way, though. Like, the first, the first one or two we did... I had like plug in headphones into my phone. You're like, hey, can we pause? I'm hearing a whooshing noise. Like, yeah, I'm walking. Like, what's the matter? Like, no, sit down. Like, try to find a microphone. So we, we've grown. We've grown. But we're not there yet. I thought you were just going to give me an, all right, like Donovan Mitchell. <laughs> yeah. Just take it and move on. Yeah. What a, what a move. What a, what, what a choice by Shaquille O'Neal to just, you know, go, go to Donovan Mitchell after a game. Hey, dude, you suck. Care to comment? <laughs> Yeah, hey, I'm a big fan. You just had 38, you stink. Thoughts? He's like, all right, yeah, fine. Go with me. Sure, man. Uh, sounds good. Great. Uh, the, n- the number of people I had uh, yelling at me about how, uh, oh, Shaq's just trying to motivate him. Uh, it's, it's, you know, you don't get it because you're, you're not a basketball player. How dare you? It's just like, what are you, what are you talking about? Like, just don't be a dickhead to yeah. someone on TV. His takes have gotten wilder, though, too. We talked about before, but with Christian Wood, he's like, hey, man, not really familiar with your game, but uh, you're playing well. Everything's going all right. <laughs> it's like, okay, yeah, I'm in the USAB Olympic pool to be placed on that team, so maybe watch a little bit more. Yeah, Shaq's gotten dunked on a couple times between Don and Mitchell's going, okay, and then yeah. Christian Wood calling him a casual. Casual, it's, yeah, it's, casual. It's been a And they response on social media. It's like, I don't know what the world is, man. It's it, Everything's still upside down. Oh my God. I had literal, I tweeted about it. I was like, wait, why are you challenging Donovan Mitchell of all people? Like he just dropped 36 in a playoff series. Uh, like what are we talking about? I had like college recruits like reaching out to me in my DMs being like, yeah, man, you're just soft. And it's just like, first and foremost, if you're a recruit, don't do that to people who like you don't know and you don't know who they know. Second, Again, just don't be a dickhead and see, like, whenever I just went second in C. Do you see what I did there? I did, yeah. uh, did the old number to alphabet <laughs> right, uh, right. combination here. See, like, if you've ever dealt with Donovan Mitchell before, you know the one thing that he doesn't lack is self-motivation. So, like, if you're Shaq and you think that you're self-motivated or you're, uh, you're motivating Donovan Mitchell to be great by doing this, you just don't know Donovan Mitchell like period the last thing that guy needs is motivation so what are we doing here what, oh, what there's, is there's, yeah there's better ways to do it right it's like pull him aside off the air hey a couple things i wanted to point out but to put him on front street and like want him to react differently i think was probably the craziest part it was insane it was absolutely yeah, you're, insane. You're, you're right Shaq. sounds good i'll go work on my jumper i'll 40 tomorrow yeah of of 45 and we'll win again like what the yeah. fuck do you want him to say in that circumstance <laughs> like and that, that's why like draymond green was so great on inside the uh nba when he was on it it was like he's giving these guys like very specific things to work on uh or like very specific like pick and roll coverages and then Shaq is just like hey dude you suck care to comment. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The, the draymond like revitalization of his i don't know attitude ego perception has been crazy the last few weeks too of like all of a sudden these articles come out how he's a basketball savant and here's him helping james wiseman to slow down the game it's been uh that's also been interesting to kind of track well look the game theory podcast has long been a proponent of draymond green 
like one of the five smartest basketball players that's ever walked planet Earth. So I, I'm glad that people have finally jumped on this ship, uh, realizing that Draymond Green is a literal genius when it comes to basketball. Yeah, it helps when you have the best shooter of all time with you. But yes, it shines through more. Yeah, no question. But uh, big, big Draymond Green fan here uh, at the Game Theory Podcast. Penny and I are going to talk about the NBA draft today, though. We're going to talk about Duke Louisville because there were some really interesting things that kind of happened in that, in that game outside of Coach K deciding to yell at a student reporter. Uh, then we're going to talk about Alabama. And finally, we're going to break down some small school mid-major prospects that we're kind of interested in in a number of ways. Uh, you know, maybe they're 2022 prospects, maybe they're just G League guys in some respects, but these are some of the guys that have really stood out throughout the course of the season uh, at the mid-major level that maybe you guys haven't gotten a chance to watch yet. So, uh, Penny, just first and foremost, how are you doing? I, I, I didn't even get to properly intro you because I decided to accost you uh, live in the middle of a podcast. You went to straight verbal barbs and hope that I picked up on what you're putting down. I missed. I'm great. I, I like I'm always excited to be back. Uh, I thought it was pretty funny that I think the last time we recorded or maybe before somebody wrote to you and said, like, hey, man, great podcast. You guys are the best. Is there a duck in the background? Do I hear a bird? <laughs> Is there a baby? So I immediately thought it was my two-year-old who's just living up to the terrible twos of, of yelling and screaming. So I be- went back and listened, and it was actually, I think, like a, a bird of prey in your backyard. So Dude. I, I think it's an opportunity for you to, to clear the air about where you're actually recording this as well. So Laura and I have been in Australia for three months or something now, and we're like still looking to get a house, right? And for now, we're staying at Laura's parents' house, and Laura's parents have a really nice, like, bird feeder in the backyard. (laughs) And every day, birds decide to fight over their breakfast. And typically, Matt and I, to take you guys behind the veil, record sometime between, let's say, 8.30 and 10 o'clock in the morning in Australia. So... Yeah, it's basically just a circumstance where I've got these birds fighting over food every single time, and I'm too afraid to tell them not to because they will fly into this room and literally murder me because everything can kill you in Australia. (laughs) That's a premise of a bad Netflix movie. But I I, I felt it when they said, what's that sound in the background? Because my apartment was built in like 1920. So if you turn on the heat, it's like a locomotive whistle to turn on the radiators. So I always like listen for it after the fact too. I'm like, ah, there it is bad, but it's snowing out here too. So if you hear the locomotive whistle, that that's me. That's not a bird call in Sam's backyard. It's also not a train randomly. Ah, might be. Who knows? Going by the window. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh man. Uh, so let's let's run into Duke Louisville from the jump. So Louisville beats Duke seventy to sixty five. Matthew Hurt was probably the standout in this game. He dropped twenty four and eight, if I remember correctly. I can probably pull up the uh no, you're right. box yep. score at some point. Uh Carly Jones was great late in the game, was not super good early in the game. Uh I love David Johnson's game and then Jalen Johnson was like a total fucking train wreck, so we'll talk about that in a minute. But what were your just immediate thoughts on this Duke Louisville game? Uh, from a prospect perspective, prospect perspective. There you go. I thought Matt Hurt continued to look 
far more confident and comfortable. He looked much more like the high school prospect that we thought was going to be this top 10 national kid coming in. He's hitting step backs. He's hitting turnarounds, one foot jumpers. He's added some strength in the off season. He was using that a lot more. He's never going to be jet quick, but he's learning how to drive, lean his shoulder in, pull up, fade away, really use that length to prevent his shot from being blocked. And one of the possessions that really stood out, they have in the corner, the left corner, and Quince Lazinski is all over him. He's six foot nine, long arms, and he's he challenges. He couldn't play better defense, and Matt Hurst still reaches up, cocks the ball back like behind his head, and gets it off and hits a three. And he kind of throws his hands up like, I don't, I don't know what you want me to do here. It's just kind of like forgotten because Duke has had not a great year that he's averaging 19 points per game and shooting 47% from three. Defensively, it's still a little shaky. Duke went kind of more that one, two, two zone to, to hide him and, and Jalen Johnson in the bottom uh, there. They have, they have no idea what they're doing in that zone. Oh, what, I mean, what, like stand around, don't get face cut. And Jalen Johnson gets face cut like the first play of the game because it's that or, or he's getting pulled out into high pick and rolls every play. And, well, and like, for instance, there was a play, uh, I, I texted and sent the video to someone like immediately. And I was just like, what are these guys doing? And it's, I, I think that. Carleek might have been bringing the ball up and instead of just letting Goldwire handle him at the point of attack, DJ Stewart tried to trap and David Johnson was just like sitting in the right corner and he made like just a very simple bounce pass. And then Jalen Johnson decided to like half-heartedly close out on him and he was wide open. And it was just like the simplest single pass, like didn't have to move at all offensive possession I've ever seen because Duke just has no idea what they're doing in that zone at any time. And the Heat's probably on to to make a play, to turn the corner, to get and score some easy baskets because they're not easy to come by in the half court the way that Louisville was playing defending. I mean, I thought their pack line defense rotations were really, really strong all game long. And Duke had a hard time converting. They only had seven assists to 15 turnovers, so it was a little bit of a, a wreck there. But not to not to overshadow the Matt Hurt thing of, of still – shooting at such a high percentage this year averaging 19 points per game where does he kind of shake out now i mean you have him you had him around like the 30s are you concerned at all about the defense is there enough value in his shooting i mean who's the kind of guy i guess you compare him to there's a million questions for you to decipher but that, that's kind of my brain dump on the matt hurt project yeah so hurt's interesting because the one that stands out in my mind from that game, like you mentioned the Quinn Slazinski, like contested three pointer. Yep. The one that stood out to me was late in the game. He catches the ball at like the 17 foot, you know, you know, 15 foot, like, you know, elbow extended area and has his back turned to the basket, just catches turns, fires over David Johnson with that super high release point on like a Dirk ish jumper uh that ended up being like a 17 footer and it was just so quick and so fluid and there was literally nothing that david johnson could do i thought david johnson did a great job on matt hurt in the second half of that game but there was just like some contested shots that matt hurt can make that nobody can defend because his release point is so high and he's such a good shooter so I, I still can't really figure out what to do with him because I think he really does not process the game super well from a playmaking perspective. Like everything is either I'm going to score or 
I have to make an escape pass and we have to reset the offense. There's never really a point where I feel like he makes a threatening pass because defenders collapse on him. If defenders collapse on him, he either takes a bad shot and he hasn't taken many of those this year. He's gotten really good at not taking those. Most of the time it just ends in an escape pass. And that I think is really where I would need him to like show some growth. If he can actually pass the ball and make real reads his offensive skill set gets really interesting because he's not really a like ball handler who can make plays on his own i don't think like you basically need to like get him the ball where he's gonna finish the play uh he can kind of take like a couple like one or two dribble relocation jumpers and be okay but like we're not talking about a guy that is gonna create his shot right it's more that you get him the ball where he ha- where he needs it, and he'll either like try to lower his shoulder if it's a smaller guy and finish at the basket, or he'll take a right. step back jumper, or he'll just shoot over top of the guy. Right. That's the creation, being able to shoot over the top of the guy and, and use that length. And I remember that that turnaround move too, because David Johnson took it onto himself the second half, being like, "I got him," and yeah. got into him, got him to his back, pushed him out of position, made him kind of like make those rush passes. And, and even when he made that shot, it was like, "I don't know what else you want me to do." Like that's almost unblockable. Where even if you challenge him, right, where, like where his face is, where the normal kind of release point would be, he pulls it back like even further. Yep. Whatever, six inches. So it's like even if you're there, you gotta like reach above his face to try to like block the shot. Yeah, I think he's just like straight up a super high level contested shot maker, uh, which has a role in the NBA. But for it to be a valuable one, I think he would need to either be able to pass or be able to defend. And right now he can't really do either. In a normal draft where I like liked the talent in the draft, uh, I would want to take him early in the second round. Right. I don't like look. I was telling are we, you, before, are, we, are we off this draft? Like we, we have hyped this thing up so much. And like, we talk off air, we talk all the time. Like, I don't know what happens after the eighth pick. Yeah, no, a hundred percent. Like I was literally doing a project. I was on the phone with an NBA executive scout, et cetera, whatever you want to call them. Um, not like a high level person, like a mid tier. You're crushing your source. He was important, but not that important. But. I was talking to him and we went through the like project of like trying to put together a top 30 right now. And once I got to seven or eight, it was tough. And then once I got to really like 13, it was really hard. Like it was really like I've, I realized like I have Franz Wagner at 15 right now. And Franz Wagner is like not shooting 34% from three. I don't think, but he's so good defensively. The shot looks translatable. Like he can really, really defend at a high level within a team construct. So like I can't, like I buy him as a role player at the next level, but like that's the kind of guy I have at 15 right now. Like if you told me the team took Matt hurt at the end of the first round, I'd be like, yeah, I get it. Like, am I going to take Matt hurt or am I going to take like Marcus Bagley who, is playing for a terrible Arizona state team and like seems to not really make a difference when he's on the court. Yeah. Just a lot's changed since we did that early mock draft pod, which we were laughing about kind of as we were doing it. Like, "Ah, I guess I'll take Marcus Bagley. I guess I'll take Jalen Wilson. Let's take Isaiah Jackson. Like all those guys have kind of slipped down and nobody's really like slid up uh, on the back end of that. Yeah, no, it's, it's really, really hard just to find guys right now. So look, I, 
yeah, I, I in a normal draft, like I think I'd probably have a second round grade on Matt Hurt, but I don't know, man. Like it, it, it it's hard for me to get to thirty before I get to Matt Hurt. Put it that way. Yeah, so tw- I didn't realize it was as glaring as only twelve assists for the year too. Oh no, it's really bad. Like he can't pass at all. Um, re- really can't pass. Um, the other Duke player that's worth bringing up before we get into the Louisville guys, Jalen Johnson was horrible in that game. Like. He had the two early baskets. He, I think he had their two first baskets or maybe two of their first three baskets. Uh, one of which was just an advantage drive. The other one was, uh, just a flash to the, uh, kind of middle of the court and took a one dribble lay in where he got fouled, if I remember correctly. Um, yeah, and one and. From there, he was just totally invisible, and he turned it. Actually, he wasn't invisible because he turned it over six times trying to do too much. Like he was actually <laughs> right. actively terrible and was really bad on defense too. Uh, this is like a prospect where I totally get it if you like the talent. Like he's six foot eight. He is like a six eleven, seven foot wingspan. He has great passing ability, but like everything that we've seen from Ben Simmons in the playoffs where like you really just don't have to guard him at times. All you have to do is be able to cut off the driving angle. I feel like we've seen that a lot with Jalen Johnson and just Jalen Johnson is nowhere near as athletically gifted as Ben Simmons is. So it's going to be impossible for him to even find those angles in the NBA, I think, right now. Yeah, it it depends how you slice it too, because I don't know what analogy you want to use for Jalen Johnson, whether it's Jekyll and Hyde, Tale of Two Cities, the Seinfeld Two-Face episode, but it's like you're getting two different players. So he has this bounce-back game against Pitt. 24 points, 15 rebounds, 7 assists, 4 blocks, 2 steals, 8 for 14 from the field, and 33 minutes is his first double-digit game since Michigan State on December 1st. He makes plays flashing in the middle of the zone. He cuts weak side for a dunk. He's using his length. He's grabbing go off the rim to make plays. His jumper looks a little better. I mean, he's still like leaning back. His follow throughs a little low. He has wide feet, but Pitt wasn't closing out, daring him to shoot. I think with the numbers for the Pitt game, it was important to note that they didn't really have like a rim protector in there either. So he kind of like drove in and, and wasn't really yeah. worried about rotations. But he played in the Yeah, like a lot energy. of it is like champagne. Like, yeah, who's like six, six load up against plus, right? Yeah. Yeah. So he's playing with energy. He's in attack mode. He's not this passive player from pre-injury and he's not always settling he's using a side of the post mid post comes off the bench i'm like great louisville here we go let's lock in so he starts they're in that zone the one two two gets blown by for a layup he's fine in the mid post he has that spin that you talked about he got an and one for the first basket he had five points in the first three minutes and then four the rest of the game his three-point shot looked super uncomfortable he airballed one in the second half from straight away and yeah, second half, he disappeared offensively. And I think a lot of that is still because of how well David Johnson did and, and what their rotations were. But you don't know what to make of him. He got in foul trouble. He turned it over. Duke had to go a lot of offense, defense to end the game. And I, I talked to a college coach about it too. Really good point, which I hadn't thought of, is he has a lot of assist passes. Not necessarily like moving the ball, making the right read, hitting here for the next one. Like it, there's some flair to it for a bucket, but other than that, it's not really like this facilitating thing that I think we talked about earlier in the year. 
I mean, he has more turnovers than assists right now. So limited assist passes. But yeah, like the spin on him was always like that was part of his game, that he could be this point forward that could run some of your offense. Right. And I do think that there is some of that skill still there. Uh, The passing is real. Like he makes passing reads that are just ridiculous. But the problem is that because teams don't have don't think he's a threat at all to shoot, they just play in the passing lanes all the time. And they cut off the angles, and it's hard for him to recreate that angle in the half court. Uh, because again, like he's not some crazy downhill athlete either. Like the clip that stands out in my mind, like very vividly, is him getting on Kofi Coburn on an island against oh, Illinois. You love that. Yeah. And just not being able to blow by at all. Not even being able to like get him off balance, even. Like Kofi just slid and cut him off and. Kofi's going to have his own issues in the NBA. Like he's pl- let's remove the Virginia tech game where he played four minutes, right? Uh, he's played really, let's say four good teams this year, right? Michigan state, Illinois, Pitt and Louisville. And like, we can mince words over how good Pitt is, right? But Pitt is at least a solid team that will present problems for oppo- opposing uh college teams he's been terrible in three of those four games <laughs> he's one like, for four i was waiting for the build-up yeah one for four he's not been very good so look it's hard for me to get past 14 or so before i get to jalen johnson on my board yeah. like it, it's hard it's just hard to do that but look I, and i never really bought the uh, conversation that oh my god this guy's in the mix to go number one this guy is uh you know in the mix to be a top five pick i never really got there but like how are we we can't be there still right like no, not to no, like just I, totally shit on him no. but like we can't yeah. we can't be first. there anymore yeah, no, no. It's, he should have declared after the Coffin State game. It's like I always made the joke about Mitch McGarry had that really good half for Michigan. I'm like just declare now and at halftime go right. pro he he's still there because of the potential that that people see and it's just every other game it's how does he find that that level where he's still playing within himself but is confident enough to make shots and can go up and down uh the games that he struggled it's been a lot of times half court battles i mean even the clip that that i reposted from duke basketball or, or whoever is when he i think he like blocks a shot and then just runs full court. They hit him like rim running for a dunk. Like that's what he wants to do. Just just run and get up and down. Once it's slow down and more paced, these inefficiencies just come through a lot more prevalently. Yeah, and by the way, they play Georgia Tech tonight uh, before we recorded this podcast. Or uh, we're recording the podcast before they play Georgia Tech. And Georgia Tech is a slow basketball team. Like they are going to grind you down uh, and just – they're not very good on defense, but they're going to try to slow the game down. Uh, and the reason they're not very good on defense is because they give up a ton of threes. I kind of think that this is a tough game for Jalen Johnson. I would like to see how he performs. And this is against a Georgia Tech team that is like not particularly good. Like they're fine, I think. They've beaten North Carolina. They've beaten Clemson. They beat Kentucky earlier. Kentucky. This year. Oh, yeah. 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 But like they've also lost to Georgia State and Mercer. Right. So. Yeah. This is a solid team that has some athletes like Moses, Moses Wright and Jordan Usher. And I kind of think Michael DeVoe is still like a semi sneaky NBA prospect at some point. But like, this is not some crazy team. And I'm at least intrigued to see how he deals with playing just like a solid college basketball team. Yeah. I, with, 
with resume wins, I, I think people will forget. Like we'll look back in a few years and be like, oh, they beat Kentucky and Duke that year and just forget like they weren't <laughs> the Duke and Kentucky of, of how they normally are. Right. No question. Uh, let's get to Louisville real quick. I thought David Johnson was really good. Like his numbers don't add up to anything crazy special. I think he had 12 points, eight rebounds, five assists, two steals and a block. Do you have the box score up? Correct. I, I wrote down the notes, but yeah. Oh, okay. Um, but made some just like ridiculous passes that Louisville missed and was really good defensively in the second half against Matthew Hurt. I'm still like pretty much a Jalen or a David Johnson guy. Like I would have him in the top 20 somewhere. Uh, six for five. I would like him to be a little bit bigger for what the role likely is going to be. I don't really see him as a point guard because I don't think he has enough bursts to get into the lane consistently. Doesn't have enough craft off the bounce yet. Uh, but I think he's going to shoot it at some point. And the way that he processes the game is very quick and he makes pretty rapid reactions to where I think he's going to be a good secondary ball handler at some point in the NBA. Carly Jones and him both played all 40 minutes too. I mean, they're the lifeblood of that team. The Passes you see a lot. I mean, he does everything. One hand, live dribble. He had one hook from like the left side. They hooked to the right for an open jumper. He gets himself in trouble at times, getting a little bit too deep in the lane. And the scouts that I've talked to, the biggest hangup is the turnovers at, at three a game. I don't also see him as a, a primary ball handler, but I like, I, I'm actually the other end of it, I think. I like his measurables at 6'5 with like a 6'10 wingspan, big hands. Defensively, he's all over the place. He, he, took to heart that defensive matchup with Matthew Hurt. The jumper has made a dramatic change. Last yeah. year, he was 23. I'm sorry. Last year, he was 5 for 23 all season. This year, he's already 23 for 54. So he's made more threes this year than he took all of last season. And one scout that I talked to made the point of, and, and don't go crazy because I know Tyrese Halliburton's having like a, an unreal year, but could he play that secondary type of guard where yeah. he doesn't have to be this dynamic playmaker? He doesn't have necessarily the, the I guess, movement, the, the craft to beat this guy one-on-one off the dribble, but you stand in the corner, can shoot a little bit, play the defense as it recovers, and don't have to be this primary creator. Yeah, no, I definitely think that's the role for sure. For David Johnson, uh, not quite as good of a shooter as Halliburton. I no, think he's... I, I was hesitant to even say it. Just be like, no, the but... second guy stands in the corner. It's like, oh, the rookie of the year. Yeah, great comp, dummy. But no, I, but I, think, I think I think you're right in terms of the role, though. Like, I don't think he's as good of a prospect as Halliburton was. I mean, I had Halliburton no. at seven. Like, I thought he was really good. Yeah, we took good. him seven. I feel good about that one. Well, I, yeah. I looked back and did the early revisionist history, like kind of squinting, like, ah, who did he miss? Halliburton was seven. So that was good. Yeah, and like honestly, like I'm doing NBA prospect rankings. I think I have Halliburton like fourth or so now. Like if I would be re-looking at this draft class uh, and re-litigating it, but uh, nonetheless, like I think that that's the right idea in terms of what Johnson could and will look like at the NBA level. I just would like him and Halliburton to an extent because Halliburton the one kind of underrated thing is that he's kind of getting blown through defensively uh just like the rest of that Kings team is every single night um I would like to see those guys be just like six foot seven instead of six foot five yeah perfect perfect world yeah six foot seven and not talk as much noise on social media every time you have a big game yeah that that would help well it's more just like it's easier for those guys to hold up defensively in right 
in tougher spots. Like guys that are bigger and longer can just hold up a little bit more defensively. Um, it's why like Cam Reddish is a more effective defender than Tyrese Halliburton right now, despite the fact that Halliburton like is a basketball savant, right? Like he's just enormous and can take on a lot of different assignments. Yeah. And, and the shot, I, I would say too, like, I probably got to get over like release point stuff because anybody I've said has a low release point has been like fantastic. Like him, he's great. Tyrese Maxey's great. Maybe the low release points like the new wave. No, but Maxey's not shooting well though. Like no, but the numbers, the numbers are there. There's a lot of like I told you so on lines right now for for Maxey for quickly and for Halliburton. There should and I guess Cole Anthony to an extent too. There should see like this is what drives me nuts about the internet. Now I'm on a tangent. Oh, here um, we go. Inter- internet soapbox. Here we go. Maxi's been like a really solid player for the Sixers so far, and I think he looks like a really good player going forward for them. He still might just be a sixth man if he's a 29 percent three point shooter, which he's been so far. Right. Right. Like. Cole Anthony has not been good this year. Like, <laughs> no, he, he, look, he he hit the game winner. And it's just a lot of it is role allocation. When you have Fultz go down and injured, someone has to step up. There's minutes to be had, and they've won a couple games with him as a, a starting point guard. Cole, Cole Anthony Nazi, is like, shooting like thirty seven percent from the field and thirty, which is better because a week ago it was thirty two percent, like nineteen percent. So like every day I look, it goes up. Same with Peyton Pritchard. I mean, Peyton Pritchard's getting time prior to his knee injury, which he's out a little bit here. And other rookies just haven't necessarily had the the chance quite yet. But, I mean, again, I I think we're crazy if we don't think it doesn't look like a good pick for for Maxi there for quickly in New York. And, yeah, Orlando, I think, is still TBD. Well, Quickly's the interesting one. Like, I think he's looked the best out of that group so far. Uh the reason is that a he can actually shoot like he's a 37 percent three-point shooter in the nba and nobody doubts emmanuel quickly is going to be able to shoot it right the thing that he has is like he has an elite nba skill right now with that floater it's hilarious like if you look at his synergy page right now with the knicks and i'm gonna pull it up as we're talking because it's yeah, if, if we if we turn mechanical it's we've we've entered into synergy world with the with the listening experience but yeah well, it's just one of the funnier synergy pages that like I can remember in a while because so far this year, Emmanuel quickly has taken 45 floaters slash runners and eight shots at the rim. <laughs> that has to be some type of record because everyone, I feel like the guys keep getting blocked at the rim. It's like, use that floater more. Like we said that a little bit about Sharif Cooper. Like he's got to learn to really use that and not try to go all the way into the trees. But for that guy to take that many floaters already is kind of unheard of. There are only three people in the NBA that have taken more floaters. It is mm. Trey Young, who is like, yep. obviously, number one like by a million. Yeah. Floater God. Um, <laughs> Alfred Payton's taking a bunch of them for reasons beyond my comprehension and then Luka Doncic is the other one who's taken 48 floaters so far this year and by the way Alfred Payton's taken his 57 floaters in four more games than quickly has so quickly is actually averaging more floaters per game than Payton so like it's just ridiculous to me how good he is at this floater skill and I think that it's more translatable long term the other thing with quickly to go on like another side tangent is that I did not think he'd be able to handle the point guard position and maybe that's just like a misevaluation on my part but uh, he is actually capable of handling the point guard position in the NBA so far Uh, and we'll see what happens once teams adjust to him and make some real like scouting based 
decisions on how to guard him now that there's tape on him. But I didn't think he really had a shot to play the point in the NBA, and he's been able to hold it pretty well pretty quickly. Yeah, he's been very good. I almost said, like, uh, I'm still in this kind of middle world where I forgot that all those guys are in the NBA. I'm like, yeah, they play Alabama later tonight. Like, no, they don't. He is not on Kentucky anymore. Well, speaking of Alabama, let's uh, take a quick commercial (laughs) break, and then we're going to talk about Alabama because uh, Matt Penny, I don't know if you know this, but your boy has a 66 to 1 bet on Alabama to win the title, and I could not be happier. All right, and we're back. Alabama uh, has now entered the top 10 of Ken Palm. They have won, uh, I believe, nine straight games. They're 8 known in the SEC. They have an absolutely phenomenal offense to watch. And uh, in terms of efficiency, what has been your main takeaway from Alabama so far this season? Scoring and shooting. Top 25 scoring team in the country. Top five their last three games. They're 10th in the country in adjusted tempo, sort of getting up and down. And we hadn't talked about it yet, but that game versus LSU was just unbelievable. I don't like, I don't remember if, if we were like recording a pod or I was watching a different game, but I kept getting texts about John Petty in the first half versus LSU. They went 23 for 43 from three. Six guys made multiple threes. And then against Mississippi State, they're 14 for 34 from three. So they've really made the drive and kick a real staple of their offense. And they're going to try to run you off the floor. Well, John Petty, like that LSU game, I think he made seven threes in the first like eight. Yeah, six or seven in the first half. Yep. Yeah, uh, it was absolutely outrageous. He was just unconscious for so many minutes of that game. Uh I can't decide, though, how real a lot of these prospects are. Like, I I think that my main takeaway from Alabama this year is that, like, Nate Oates might be one of the 10 best coaches in college basketball, like, period. Uh, He is unbelievable, like, from an X's and O's perspective, the way that they consistently find little creeks and, like, crannies to, like, get their guards through, the way that they space the floor, the little sets they run to get uh, guys free. Like, it's absolutely unbelievable and for where the game is right now from a basketball perspective playing five out basketball like alabama has i think is just the way to go about it like unquestionably and uh i I am i am staggered by how good nate oates is every time that i watch alabama as much as i'm staggered by how talented some of the players are I love the story. I'm a sucker for a good story. He was a high school coach, and then he's an assistant at Buffalo. And they go there, and they win. And now he comes to Alabama, and they're playing a, a really fun style. And obviously, it looks a lot better when you have guys hitting threes. It's like when people try to do like the dribble drive motion, like not at Kentucky. It's like, well, it works a lot better when you have like the best point guard in the country, like running the right. show. Uh, but like John Petty, it's it's interesting because. He was one time considered this really like elite level recruit. And I remember being at Putnam Science Academy and I was watching Hamadou Diallo and sitting with a high major coach and arguing who had more upside. Now Hamadou is in the NBA and having a really good season and John Petty's still in college, but 
you see flashes of what made him that. I mean, he was eight for 10 from three versus LSU. He's the all time leading three point shooter in Alabama history. He has this really compact release and it looks fairly consistent unless he adds a little extra arc to it once in a while. And he's really been the recipient of these drive and kick opportunities created by Javon Quinterly or Herb Jones. He's not nearly as good with with movement or off the dribble, but I, I like the confidence he has in himself and the team and his game. Post-Mississippi State win, he said he would hit 85 out of 100 threes if left open. Also added, feels like everybody wants a piece of Alabama, and they can get it too. They can definitely get it. Like, I like that guy. Yeah, I really like the confidence, and it's interesting because, like, the first couple of years he was there, I felt like he did not have much confidence when he was right. shooting the ball. Yeah. Um, so it's great that like that staff has brought him back in terms of confidence. Uh, you're right. Like to me, the transition for Petty is going to be, he has to shoot it off of movement. Uh, doesn't really do that all that well right now. It's mostly just spot up three pointers and that's okay. Like there are worse things in the world than being able to knock down spot up threes at a 44% clip. But for him to like really be an NBA impact player, like I think he's going to have to be able to run off of movement, set his feet quickly and shoot as opposed to what Alabama does with him now, which is they just like have him posted up in the corner and then like roll him up to the above the break line. And eventually he just sets his feet and fires. Yeah, I don't I don't know where he ends up kind of shaking out this NBA conversation, but I feel like people kind of wrote him off despite being a four year yeah. double digit scorer. Uh, 39% shooter from three, not the best free throw shooter at 70%. I mean, I, I think the shot can, can bump it back a little bit and he'll be okay from NBA range. But uh, I just like kind of this comeback of now he has a chance to, to maybe be in the NBA or a rotational guy somewhere eventually down the road where, you know, well, whatever. When he was in high school, he was a, a top 10, top 15 guy and he was thought to be a, a one and done. And sometimes we write off those kids if, if the first year doesn't go exactly according to plan. Yeah. And it's a credit to him that he has figured this out. Uh, he's figured out how to be a good college basketball player. Uh, again, I also love the way that they use him on cuts as well. They use the threat of his jump shot to get him open shots at the rim pretty regularly as well. Uh, I think that that's just like a really, really smart way to do things. Uh, he is shooting uh, 63% at the basket on 33 attempts. Like he's just, uh, he's really worked his way into being a solid all around uh offensive college basketball player for what Alabama asks him to do. He just might not be good enough to play in the NBA until he learns how to be a movement shooter and learns how to like make high level passing reads. Like he needs to do some other stuff as well. But I think the big thing that he's going to have to do is be a movement shooter, not just a uh, spot shooter. And, he, and he's on one wing and then on the other wing, and he's older. He's considered a dinosaur for being a senior in college. Other <laughs> wing, you have Josh Primo, who's yep. first college game. He was 17 years old. And yep. has said in articles like, yeah, I was out there. I didn't really know what I was doing. Just reclassified late in the 2020 class. He doesn't turn 19 until next Christmas Eve. And he's been very much a freshman. I mean, he had zero points against Florida on January 5th. Since then, he's gone for 22, 12, 3, 22, and 16 in 23 minutes per game. Yep. LSU game, he's 6 for 8 from 3. He's 4 for 8 from 3 against Mississippi State. 
obviously a very small sample, but 27 for 65 from the year. To pull up our own little synergy numbers, he's in the 97th percentile in spot-up shooting, 98% for jump shots in the half court, 97% for catch and shoot. The other side of the token, I guess kind of the same, is statistically he's one of the lower isolation scores, which could also be due to the fact that he's playing with such a balanced attack of Herb Jones and Quinterly and John Petty, so you don't really need him to do much more than shoot. I mean, one NBA scout I talked to did call out kind of his bad turnovers, especially the end of that Auburn game, and yeah. he had five, and the ball handling ability isn't necessarily there, but as a, a 6-6 shooter that doesn't turn 19 for a while, there's there's something to at least track there. We're talking about a draft where we don't know how it shakes out. Does he declare? I, I wouldn't rule it out. And I pulled this quote from Nate Oates from a, a Charlie Botter Bama Online article. He said, I think he's going to be a guy that when he leaves here and goes plays professionally, he's going to continue to get better because he spends so much time at the gym. He's 6'6", with a huge wingspan. Weighs almost 200 pounds athletic. He's got all those things you can't coach, and then he's super coachable on top of that stuff. Yeah, no, Primo has a chance to really be a late riser in this process. And it's in part, he'll be a late riser because of how inconsistent he was early in the season. Five points against Jacksonville State, zero points against Stanford, six points against Clemson, five points against Furman, eight against Western Kentucky, three against East Tennessee State, six against Mississippi. Like, he was not a ready-made player within college basketball when he got to Alabama, but he's figuring out college basketball now. And I still think he's probably a 2022 guy because I don't, I think things are just moving way too fast for him still. Like he's still not really making any high level passing reads. Uh, Defensively, he's still learning where he needs to be all the time. The consistency is improving but it's not quite there yet it feels like he's just shooting well right now uh if you told me he returns to school next year i think there's like real lottery upside i don't know that i'm quite there yet with him and like maybe that makes him someone that an nba team should promise to take at 35 because they can get a really good you know potential lottery level prospect a year early right uh, you know, NBA teams, I think, should be smarter about doing that, to be honest. But uh, if I was primo, I think I might be willing to stay at Alabama an extra year. He should, the way they play, too. And he showed a little bit of fluidity off the bounce when he does get into the lane. And he's hit some threes coming off screens, but a lot of it is he's just camping out in the corners and waiting for his defender to help and react, and then it's catch and shoot. Which I like. I'm no, I'm no coach, but I, I don't know why people help off him and Petty so much. Like, why don't you just like have the big stay and wait and try to cut off the, well, the penetrating guard? But they, they've had a lot of good looks. Like the, the looks they're making aren't necessarily like crazy ones either. Like they've they've had a lot of time and space to get it off. Well, I think that this is why I love watching Alabama and why I think their five out offense is so strong is because they put teams in unfamiliar positions defensively through the way that they actually space the court with NBA spacing, not just like college spacing, and B, with the way they've recruited, right? Like, they don't really play non-shooters. Like, even Alex Reese, his, he's shooting 24% from three, but he's taken 62 of them in 16 games. Like, if right. you leave him open, there's a pretty real chance that that ball is going to go in. Uh, 
Yeah, I, I don't know what they're doing down there for shooting, too. I mean, Herb Jones last year was one for 14 from three. He's 13 for 27 this year. Yeah, and like probably some of that is variance. Some of it's improvement, I'm sure, too. But like the way that they play, they give everyone the green light. And I think that, frankly, like opposing college coaches don't really know how to deal with that yet. They don't know how to deal with playing five out offenses because so many college defenses are based on limiting the paint based on, uh, you know, just cutting off any sort of driving angle, collapsing on drivers constantly collapsing on pick and roll players. Like a lot of teams play a drop coverage. Very few teams switch. Like it's, and that's fine. Like given the geometry of the college court and the way that most college offenses play, I don't even think that's a bad idea, but Whenever you see a team like Alabama that just puts opposing defenses in space constantly and makes them make like the worse, you have to consistently make a better decision of two bad decisions, which is either I have to tag this roller or I have to leave John Petty as a shooter. Uh, I think it's just really hard for a lot of college defenders uh, to do that whenever they're consistently told to do something else because very few other teams run five out offense they're clearly rolling right now why i like your 66 to 1 bet for a national championship is i remember when when john beeline was at michigan that was always the guy when you ask opposing coaches and i think one time they asked tony bennett who's like the the worst coach to prepare for or something something along those lines for like the ncaa tournament it was john beeline just because the style the reads the cuts Alabama may be the answer this year a little bit for some because it is five out. Okay, Herb Jones is like kind of a point guard and kind of like center at times, and you got these shooters running around, and even their bigs can shoot. So it's you have to pick which way you want to kind of stop them. And it, it's not just like this easy fix of like, okay, here's how we scout a few sets. Here's their underneath out of bounds. Like their style is just different than you'll see on any given night in the SEC. No, it really is. And I think that I'm telling you, like if I was – any uh, Alabama is going to have to pay to keep Nate Oates from some of these big schools. And I look like if I was an NBA team and I was trying to get really creative, I might take a look at Nate Oates at this point. Like I am telling you, I think he's really good. Like I think he is a really, really good basketball coach. So where do you take him? Is my, is my question. He, he's in the, like, I don't think he's going from league to, uh, he's not staying within the league is my point. Right. No, but like if you're if John Calipari decides he wants one last shot at the NBA, like could Kentucky fun and gun down in Lexington? Don't get him going. Like Kentucky, we've had we've taken enough shots and paper cuts at Kentucky all year. I don't want to get people all jacked up over this. Well, look, I'm not saying like you know fire John Calipari. John Calipari. John Calipari's a fucking great college basketball coach. I'm saying like (laughs) if he wants to go and take a shot at the NBA again. Like, I think that they could do worse than hiring Nate Oates as their replacement. Like, I think that uh, basically any of these blue blood, like highest of high end blue blood schools could do worse than hiring Nate Oates. Yeah. Grew up in Wisconsin, was at Buffalo, but coached in Detroit. I want to say, I think on one of those other podcasts, I think it was Jeff Goodman, Jeff Borzell were saying, who's the next guy to step up? I think one of them said, like, okay, Beheim steps down at Syracuse. He's already done it at Buffalo. Would he go back there? Uh, I don't know. Maybe. I mean, the, the NBA thing is, is definitely interesting, too. And by the way, like, I don't even know if I would leave Alabama for Syracuse because I don't know how good that Syracuse job is once Beheim leaves, right? right. Like, I think that it might be a little bit harder to get kids 
to go to Syracuse than it would be to get kids to go to Alabama, uh, just given the proximity to recruits and everything, right, for the most part. Um, but like the super, super high end ones where they're able to pay you six million plus dollars a year or whatever. I, I think that those are the ones that might come calling for NATOs. Like I think that uh and, and look like this probably pisses off Alabama fans too. Like NATOs might be at Alabama forever because he's clearly proven. Oh that he yeah, can win. no look he he could be a lifetime guy there. I mean I don't think there's coronavirus already changed a lot of stuff, but when the restrictions are pulled off and you can have recruiting weekend in the fall. I mean, going down to watch Alabama football, then, then seeing a practice of their fun and gun stuff. There's, there's worse things in the world. Yeah. Um, all right. The last thing we wanted to do today is talk about small school prospects. We're going to spend, let's say like 15, 20 minutes on small school prospects. Uh, who is your favorite small school prospect in Ooh, the 20 favorites, favorites, tough. 21 NBA draft. Uh, can I cop out and say not necessarily my favorite, but like kind of the flavor of the week? Yeah, sure. Let's do it. So this one kind of like came, I don't know if I'd say organically, but I was texting with a, a college coach last night and uh, he asked if I had watched Isaiah Mosley at Missouri State. And I hadn't. I knew that he was second in the country with 23 and a half points per game. Uh, I didn't realize he'd five and a half rebounds, three and a half assists. He's shooting 65% from the field. And then uh, I guess and I use this word too often serendipitously Jordan Sperber, who does the, the hoop vision college basketball analytics email list, which is very, very good. He actually had him down as having this year, the second most efficient season for a player with the usage rate of over 30% in the last decade. So his usage is 31.2. His effective field goal percentage is 65.6. Number one is actually Luca Garza from this season. Three is McDermott in 2012. Four was Jacques Londale in 2018. And five was Kelly Olenek in 2013. So it was enough to like push me to watch him. And I liked what I saw. Strong frame, tough with the ball in his hands, gets in the lane and plays through fouls. When he kind of like jumps up in the air and defenders rotate to stop him, they more like bounce off him. He's not like thrown off his path. He's able to finish through. He'll need to be careful when he becomes a little bit of a, a battering ram and he's charge prone, but has real bounce in his step, both on and off the ball. Has that kind of like NBA level patience and letting the defense react when he, he'll drive, he'll stop, he'll kind of step through, shot fake, finishes with both hands around the rim. High level athlete, Missouri State will throw lobs to him on the break or, or out of timeouts. Obviously, the hang up is the jump shot, which is kind of a, a wild card or roller coaster. He's shooting at a high enough clip, but he pauses a little bit on the catch. He kind of sort of flings it above his head. His legs go everywhere. It's going in, but like I, I'm not sold that that's a consistent thing he can rely on. The thing that just stands out to me with Mosley, and again, like I was similar to you, like had not watched a ton of him uh, coming into this podcast, but had started to you know have a couple of scouts reach out to me about him. The fluidity and just the general translatability of his athleticism is very real. Like, I, I think that he is an NBA caliber wing athlete and he seems to have very good length. He seems to have very good hand-eye coordination in the way that he can finish around the basket. Like his finishing around the basket is pretty wild. I think like he is extremely impressive. These are not post-ups for the most part. These are not like, situations where he's finishing cuts like he is a self-creator who can get to the rim and finish with real creativity 
I'm with you that I think the jump shot right now, and he's a sophomore, so there's still a lot of time for him. Right now, I think the jump shot is kind of a non-starter for him at the NBA yes. level. Yeah. Um, could take time in the G League to improve it. Could take time at Missouri State to improve it. I think if you put him on a high major team, he would be immediately awesome. Like, I, I think he's a legit great player within college basketball. I think that he needs another year to really work on the jump shot uh, at a significant level. As a freshman, he averaged eight points per game. So this is like a huge jump up to 23 and a half. He is 6'5". He is 195 pounds. He'll continue to improve. I I also kind of want to see him, and this isn't a shot by any means, just play, whether it be some high majors or some other competition, just with the virus, you're you're dealing with these kind of like home-and-home games. So it's like, cool, you have 29 points back-to-back against the same team in Valparaiso. So it's like you just want to see a little bit of variance, too, in opponents as well and and you know what they can post him a little bit he'll do that like ucla cut stuff but it it's not his his really bread and butter i guess you could say yeah no question and i think he is real like you would say he is real nba upside if the shot yeah yeah no for yeah yeah if if i close my eyes when he's shooting jumpers i would say no question just the jumper is a little bit shaky uh i I hope he stays missouri state and and develops a little bit but he's a good radar guy to watch more and we're not necessarily like going on a crazy limb he's like second in the nation scoring right yeah no he's a legit prospect i think and and a very real one uh if i was him i would probably stay one more year and really work through the mechanics of the jumper because uh he has a real shot at some point i think right now i think he's more of a g-league guy though yeah i'm with you okay uh think that if you made me pick a favorite prospect it would probably be matt lewis at james madison i don't think he'd be the highest guy of my list but i really like matt lewis uh i like his shooting ability he's able to catch it and fire just directly off of a hop there's no wasted motion i think he is a pretty legit 40 percent three-point shooter he knocks down shots from distance with nba range with ease um makes pretty like real high level passes at times i think a lot of them are preordained reads within james madison's offense i'm not there with like mark byington and uh you know asking him like hey is this a preordained read i probably could reach out and ask i haven't yet uh but i I think some of them are but i think he does make some live dribble off the cuff reads that are interesting he's also a really good finisher around the basket uh with creativity and with hand-eye coordination and uh, can finish with both hands at the rim. He just might not be a real NBA athlete, unfortunately, which is a mm-hmm. bummer because uh, I think that the skill level is pretty real and I think his craft is pretty real as well. Yeah, it, like he's a senior. I, I put it's kind of been like a slow burn to, to get where he is. He's built up every year to where he is now. Did, did you know that with, Matt Lewis declared for the draft last year? Uh, I didn't. You know everyone declared for the draft. I did not know that. Uh, did you know his brother is committed to play at Maryland next year? Yeah, he's like a four-star recruit. His name is Oh, you did your Paul? homework. Damn it. Yeah, you're right. Paul Lewis. Yeah. yeah. Outplayed Devin Askew at Who Paul uh, the last time I could actually go see basketball games in person. Yeah. Plays for DC Premier, UA Circuit. Shameless plug. Shout out Matt Penny for knowing Shout every Under myself. Armour <laughs> player. You know every guy who declared for the draft. Like, so we, yeah. <laughs> we anyway. have different skills. <laughs> yeah, very much so. Uh, I thought that he had a lot of 
workout moves i like to call them i think that's the same thing yeah. as you're saying with like his reads you just kind of tell like oh that's two dribbles and a spin back like it didn't it seemed like he was doing that whether the defense was there or not he likes to do that spin in the lane a lot to kind of like that short fadeaway jumper too not shy not lacking confidence he'll take shots really early in the shot clock he pulls from beyond college three off of pick and rolls he's ready to go off reversals did also think he lacked athleticism off the bounce to get true separation and it's more like all right i'm six five two hundred i'm gonna finish through you also want him to do a little bit better of playing north south and not totally like east west when making his move but as a as a mid-major player i really like him i don't know athletically if he can necessarily do the same things at the next level i think i would have a two-way grade on him right now okay i think i would go that far um is he on the board right now i would have him 61st right around 60 i think right now a lot of two ways okay yeah and by the way like in that same conversation that i was having with the uh like nba executive scout that i talked to yesterday i kind of mentioned that like right now i would not feel great about drafting more than like 30 guys in this class yeah i think what was last time like 47 i think we talked about or yeah. 42. Yeah. I had a draftable grade on 47 or 48 guys. Yeah. So this year, right now at least, it's not much. It's much lower at the point, at yeah. this point. Um, we'll see if that changes as the season progresses. And to be honest, it probably will. Like we're January 26th. Guys continue to emerge and get better throughout the course of a college basketball season. So, um, beyond him, I will give you the floor to yell out another prospect that you like. I think I'll go Tavion Kinsey, 6'5", 185 pounds from Marshall. Known for being a, a super high-level athlete when he has time to load up and jump, especially in space. Averaging close to 20 points per game, almost seven rebounds, four assists, shooting 53% from the field, 41% from three. He's known for hitting tough shots, but so much of that stuff is in the mid-range, like little quick fadeaways or, or face-ups and spins in the lane. He'll jump in and elevate around the rim. Really reads the defense well. He'll go back door. He'll cut. He'll see what the man's giving him. The jumper is just, uh, again, he's shooting 41%, but the game I, I've watched two games now, but one of them I watched, he airballed the three. He badly missed a, a running one-footer. The form's just a little stiff, a little bit mechanical, and it limits, I would say, the range that his deep jumpers could be off the dribble. I see more as like a combo post kind of right now with, with how many spins yeah. and how much he relies on being kind of in between that, that elbow in the paint. Uh, if you're buying now in the 40, 50 range, which I've seen them some places, it's the unfinished product, but you're buying into the upside and the, the untapped potential. Yeah, I don't dislike Kinsey. Like, I'm not gonna. No, say I, I that don't want that to be like a like a haterade thing either. Like, he's 20 points per game, but not good enough for me. Just, I'm not as sold as a lot of other guys are. Well, I think that the big thing you have to remember is the way that Marshall plays, right? And the way that he ends up getting a lot of his offense. So Marshall is coached by Dan D'Antoni, who plays super up tempo. They are top 30 in the country in pace of play right now. And a lot of Kinsey's shots come in transition. A lot of them come open floor, you know, catches on the wing, takes one dribble, spins to the basket, and finishes a layup, right? Or 
rebounds, grabs and goes on the break, finds a teammate, gets it back, spins and finishes. It almost always results in a whirling dervish spin, right? Yes, a lot of spins. <laughs> Texas tornado, yeah. Yeah. Um, and he's very good in the open court, like very, very good in the open court, very efficient. Uh, also has started to add some pick and roll stuff this year. Like he can run a ball screen, which is nice. Uh, not like an amazing passer in those circumstances necessarily, but can do it. Certainly crashes the offensive glass better than you would expect for a wing has some solid length i just kind of came away wondering how it would all work uh at the nba level i think there's some real athletic upside here and i would certainly like he's a guy that i would love to get on a two-way i think i don't think i would have in like a full-on like draftable grade on him right now yeah uh, a coach i talked to who who'd scouted him echoed the same thing like he really extends once you get in the lane and like that can be a game changer because he does have that explosiveness but so much of it's just to be determined yeah i no, guess, it, I, guess I, I guess i sat down and i was like okay he's he's kind of like slotted 40 some places i thought it would be like oh man like people are missing this kid's like 25th i just didn't walk away being like that's absolutely where he should be no i i don't think it is to be honest so like remembering that he plays 38 minutes a night and plays in a super up-tempo offense, right? He's averaging, per 100 possessions, 28.5 points per game. So, like, remember that he's averaging 20 points per game, but you up that number to per 100, he's at 28.5. Like, someone like Keon Johnson, who's averaging 9 points per game and uh, we think has not had a great offensive season, like, he's averaging 25 points per 100 possessions. So, like... Yeah. So the much tempo. of the offense is revolved around him, though, too, more so than Keon. Keon's like a, a, a part in a, a locomotive, and Kinsey's more of like the engine. That was so bad. But you, you get my point. No, for sure. And I, I'm just trying to contextualize the numbers here in terms of, oh, my God, he's at 20 points. And I'm not even saying that you're doing this, but like, oh, my God, he's at 20 points and seven rebounds and four assists per game and um, you know doing all this stuff. But he's really doing it because of inflated pace and because of uh him playing every minute of every game right like that that, that's the reason that the counting numbers are as good as they are yeah it's it's the sun it's the old school sun system in you know their conference right (laughs) the dance the d'antoni bloodline runs deep yeah and and like i said like i'm still relatively interested in Kinsey like I think he is like a semi-interesting two-way flyer for a team to take because there is some passing acumen there there is some real open court ability there there's some finishing ability in the half court there but I'm not quite as convinced as some people are on him maybe is the way to put it fair right there with you uh my next guy is gonna be we've talked about Kessler Edwards we've talked about um Jason Preston on this podcast I think you guys know how I feel about those guys. Kessler is going to be like a borderline first round guy for me. Maybe top 40 guy. Uh, just super high level shooter, super high level help defender, six foot eight, seven foot wingspan. Just a, a lot of what you're looking for in a modern NBA wing as a shooter, defender, three and D kind of guy. Uh, Preston, more of a top 80 guy for me not sure i buy the athleticism i do buy the feel for the game i think that is spectacular uh he's kind of all over the map for nba teams though like i 
have talked to a couple who think he's like very clearly a draftable prospect. I'm not quite there yet because I don't know that I buy the jump shot and I don't know that I buy uh, the way that he uses his athleticism on the court. The guy I don't think we've talked a ton about from a small school is Bones Highland. And I think we mentioned him a couple podcasts ago, but I really went back and dove deep, uh, deeper a little bit yesterday. And I don't think he's really a true point, but I said the same thing about Emmanuel quickly last year, but Bones is averaging 19 points. He's averaging uh, four rebounds and two assists. He's an awesome off-ball defender. And he's shooting 40% from three, 41% from three, I'm sorry, on six attempts per game over the course of his career at VCU. I kind of think that he's like a really high-level combo guard scorer. I have a top 50-ish grade on him now. Like, I I don't know that he should leave school yet because I think that there is a lot of work to do on his frame. There's a lot of work to do in terms of just adding weight. He's probably 170 pounds right now. He needs to get way stronger to play in the NBA. But... I'm pretty in on Bones Highland being an NBA player at some point. I really like him. Uh, we, we talked about it a little bit. He played on our circuit with We Are One. And, and I'm I was sorry, like, Bones is at VCU, and he's like a he three is, guard. Yes, I should mention. Yes, yes. And, you know, and you also said, yeah. and we kind of laughed about it, like he does have some Jamal Crawford-esque type moves and shiftiness, and he's never you – know, people regard – Jamal Crawford is like one of the best like ball handlers ever. So we're not like saying that either, but that kind of like separation he can get playing with a pick and roll. And he grew up, he said like playing a lot of that like playground style type of basketball. I thought that he kind of hit this wall to this, this year I mean, when he played Penn state early in the year, he struggled with the physicality, but I mean, after that, and granted, it's North Carolina A&T, but it's a lower level than where he is. But he had 30 there. He had 31 against Western Carolina. He had 28 against Dayton. He's doing it within league play. It's hard to find probably these microwave-type-ish scorers where that skill is is easily translatable. And the, the kid's been through a lot in his life. Personally, he's overcome incredible hardships. So I, I'm rooting for him to make it, too. Yeah, I, I am. I, as w- I don't think I should say I'm rooting for him to make it, but uh, but I do just based on his story. No, I absolutely am rooting for that kid to make it. Like, there is no. Uh, I, I'm not one of those people who's like, oh my god, we have to have the journalistic integrity of. Yeah, we can't not, cheer in the press box. Not this is not the press box. Humans. This is the jungle boat in Australia with birds chirping. We'll do what we want here. <laughs> um. No, Bones, like, I, I want that kid to succeed. I want everyone to succeed for the most part, unless you're like a total, like, prick, right? You're like, po- yeah, you're positive. This is why this works. I think everyone stinks. How's he stinks? You're like, oh, he's super fun. He's a good guy. Yeah, like, like I want, I want these kids to, like, have the most success possible. I certainly feel that way, uh, as much, if not more, uh, about Bones Highland as other players. Uh, you bring up a good point in regard to his performance against high level competition. 13 points on 16 shots against West Virginia, 12 points on 12 shots against Memphis, 11 points on 14 shots against Penn State, right? And I think in large part, that is because you put him up, up against those big physical teams, he's going to struggle because he's just not physically strong yet. At some point, I think he's going to get there with strength, though, at least enough to where he can deal with, uh, deal with physicality to a better extent that he does now by the way the the locomotive uh heater has started <laughs> I was waiting for it. yeah it is choo choo yeah 
it's on it's snowing outside man we're in boston we got one to three inches it's a way of life oh my god uh, so um, pass through yeah bones also has 25 assists to 46 turnovers so that that's gotta we'd like that to flip though too yeah we uh we would like to see that flip but i'm a I'm a fan of Highland. Maybe top 50 is strong. I, I probably would have him somewhere in the top 60, but I, I am a fan. I do think it would behoove him to return to school, though. Uh, yeah, pro- probably the the return, the declare, get some intel from the NBA, return, build from there. Yep, I would agree with that. Uh, I'll give you one more name, and then we'll get out of here. Okay. Do we want to talk Terry Taylor, Austin P? Yeah, let's let's do it. All right, so 6'5", 230. Uh, he is averaging 21-11 while shooting 55% from the field. He had 38-17 and 17 versus Eastern Illinois. He had 25-16 and 16 versus East Tennessee State. He's averaged 20-10 and 10 for three straight years, and I think you have to credit head coach Matt Figger and that Austin Peay staff for hanging on to a kid like that because anytime you have those numbers at a mid-major, that's just like chum in the water for, for high majors to pick him <laughs> off. And he's, come, he's come back. We laugh and we joke about it. I think part of that is because. Meanwhile, figures very, up at night, like concerned if Terry Taylor is going to leave. Yeah. <laughs> he's there now. He's not going anywhere. He's a 32% three point shooter, but I think part of coming back was they're trying to like showcase him a little bit more of a prospect, knowing that he's going to yeah. have to do that if to be considered an NBA level guy. Like they run this like top horns ball screen, they'll come off him, then he gets a flare and pulls up. So I was watching the last game, I think versus Jacksonville State. He shoots that. I'm like, all right, a little ambitious. But like the next play, he pulls up like five feet deeper than that and doesn't get the hook because he's averaging you know, 20 and 11. He's the lifeblood of their team. Everything's really run from him. It's like back screens into cross screens to the post. Lefty, very strong, has a knack for the ball on the boards, keeps plays alive. Just a little slow to get to his move on the face up. I would say probably somewhere in the the G League ish range, just the the height and the lack of shooting, I think hurts him. Yeah, G League or like good four man in Europe, I would say, like has a real shot to be a valuable like small ball four in Europe because he's so big and so strong. Having said that, like six foot five, two hundred thirty pound guys who know what they're doing on offense and have some potential to shoot. That's sure shit what NBA teams are looking for right now. Like, you better believe that. So I I wouldn't want to rule him out, but I think that a lot of what he does is pretty slow right now. Like, I think that that's kind of the opportune word with Terry Taylor. Like, it's very methodical. Yes, uh, totally. W- with what he does on the court. Having said that, like, there is a pretty real chance that he ends up getting a real NBA opportunity because again switchable six foot five guy who's 230 pounds like typically over a steal and a block per game uh in his collegiate career uh not there at that level this season but has certainly been there in the past i i wish that again kind of similar to the conversation with matt hurt earlier they run literally everything through him at austin yes yeah yeah i i wish that he was more willing or capable of because he sees a ton of double teams like I, I wish that he was more willing or capable of making passes to his teammates that are open because there are often guys that are open and he is like a negative assist to turnover ratio guy just because he 
does not really see those passes available. And, and that's what's going to happen when you're when you're that good, have that big of a rep for twenty and ten for three straight years. You're in that league. Like those are the defenses you're going to see every night. So he probably can do a little bit more too because you're not getting those one on one situations of the post that you would if you were at a, a higher level and. You couldn't help down as much off of other players, especially on the wings. All right, Penny, uh, what what movies have you watched? What happened in Below Deck this oh, week? Man, uh, Below Deck, there was – actually, I watched it last night. There was a, a scandal about one of the deckhands and one of the interior crew hooking up in a guest cabin, which is a big no-no in the open seas. Stag- I wish I was making that up. That's, that's, that's what it is. I, I had that on – uh, my sister-in-law was over on my lap. I had my computer. I was watching West Virginia, Texas Tech, but I did have a wandering eye toward uh, Below Deck. I'm telling you, have you and your wife watched Selling Sunset yet? Uh, I watched like an episode or two, and honestly, it was just like I didn't know if I had any more bandwidth for like that, that style of TV. It's like I need to use my brain a, a little bit more. Selling Sunset is just – if you're going to watch garbage TV, it's the uh, – it's the gold standard of garbage. <laughs> the gold of garbage. Next on Selling Sunset. I love it. I need it back in my life so much. I, I'm I'm living in a you wake now. you wake up though. You exactly. You wake up and you got games like right away. You wake up, it's like oh, four it's o'clock the our time. You're watching games, you're done by what? Like one or two in the afternoon? Like that's perfect. Uh, you can watch all the movies. Yeah, typically like three. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's great. It's the absolute best. Uh, I, I love it so so much being over here but you know I, I need selling sunset back in my life because having moved over here like i'm missing that area like where they are is literally where i lived in hollywood like it's a nice spot right is it like half yeah. the stuff it's the the prices are just outrageous yeah it's like and look like i lived in like a shitty one bedroom apartment like i'm not the like we rented like <laughs> well let's not get it twisted like I, we are <laughs> we are in different stratospheres because, because, because i'm in i'm in newton which is right outside of boston which is like one of the really nice like it's considered a city but like the nice suburb yeah. outside of boston but i was like no i'm on the bad side of town it's not i rent my house it's from the 1920s like we have mice like ah, like how do i spend this yeah no like 100 percent um but like all of that shit like was happening like everything on selling sunset happened within like a 10 minute radius of me and it was delightful to watch i love Just- that yeah my buddy sent me a text that uh I think Netflix is filming like a Leonardo DiCaprio and Jennifer Lawrence movie downtown. So it's like, ah, here's a picture of the, the Netflix van and here's them filming. So people are still filming stuff despite what's going on in the world. Yeah. It's, uh, it's Just good. Don't get I yelled mean, at like Tom Cruise and his, <laughs> his outburst he had on his whole crew. Tom Cruise is a patron saint of this podcast because of the Mission Impossible movies. We do not take Tom Cruise's name in vain. <laughs> we won't start today. Just Charles Bassett. <laughs> <laughs> just charles yeah Cassie. oh man uh penny tell the people where they can find your work tell the people what's going on i'm at twitter matt underscore penny you can find me back here probably in two weeks getting yelled at for bad small conference players i named i don't think i did that i think that you were no nah, we're mentioned good, some good I'm, ones. I'm just i'm just busting yeah it's all good uh sam vicini here we are uh i'll have another podcast later this week i've got a really good one queued up uh, i think for thursday evening i'm recording in the united states uh trying to think what else i'm working through prospect rankings in the nba right now that should start being released next week don't necessarily quote me on that uh because 
who knows how long things take uh, sometimes. Sometimes I can uh, get a little bit overly wordy, as anyone who has read my work knows. And sometimes it ends up taking a little bit longer than what I wanted. Uh, I will just note, though, uh, within the prospect rankings, I just wrote the blurb for Lonzo Ball. And this will go toward something that you uh, mentioned on Twitter last week, uh, Penny. I said the next few years should be all about actualizing Ingram, the Ingram Zion combination. And I don't know that I'm convinced that a backcourt of Bledsoe and Ball does that. Even when all four guys are on the court, the Pelicans are losing their minutes by about two points per 100 possessions. And indeed, in limited minutes, I actually think the Bledsoe Ingram Zion combination has looked pretty good when Ball isn't out there. So where does this leave us with Ball? I think that my opinion is that he can be a really good starting quality role player who helps affects wins and losses and actualizes star players with his passing and defense with the right scheme and roster. He's a phenomenal connective tissue player, hmm. but New Orleans might not be the right spot and the Pelicans shouldn't necessarily be revamping their roster to make ball work, but rather the player, players in ball's position should be working to help Ingram and Zion. Basically saying that they should like look into moving him. Sean Strania yeah, today. Yeah, exactly. Yep. The Pelicans uh, looking to move Zion Williamson. Or uh, not Zion write, Williamson. Looking to uh, move Lonzo. Uh, Lonzo Ball. If you have that for 50, 100 prospects, we, we should start reading now. We'll be done in like three weeks. Yeah. Uh, that's like a third of what I wrote on Lonzo, by the way. Jeez, man. All yeah. the words. I uh, I have done quite a bit of work so far on this. And I've got the organizational rankings done outside of I have to redo the stupid chart for cleveland and houston because of kevin porter's trade god damn it you couldn't you couldn't wait until february 5th to do <laughs> that this burrito had trade. hit the wall get out of here yeah yeah it's not like it's not like kevin porter is playing <laughs> not yet yeah um but yeah keep an eye on the athletic for that please go subscribe to the athletic it's a fantastic website we do really good work over there until next time though we will talk soon bye